Shut up and sit down. They get their little church friend, and their church friend prays for them whether they want them to or not. Always, you know, super nice to them and goes out of their way and just super friendly. You know, you got your little church friend, the one that goes to church and prays for your soul even though they know you're going to hell. But they don't judge you for it to your face. You know, that's the kind of church friend you expect to have. Is that the kind of church friend I've got? No, it's not. I can't even. I I can't even. You invite a little church lady into your bitch squad and you have expectations. Are they met? No. No, they're not met because you got some individual in your chat room it's just it's just not what I expected when I invited a little church lady into my bitch squad. I'm just saying. Just saying. Just not what I expected. For those of you who don't visit the chat room and you're thinking about doing it, I would like to remind you that it is an adult chat room, and often there are profoundly pornographic images in it. And tonight is absolutely no exception. We're going to talk about the Sentinel. Um, I was um, out and about today. I didn't have my computer with me, so I couldn't write. And that's very unusual for me not to have my computer with me, but I just ended up leaving the house without it because I was forgetful. And so I grabbed a notebook and... um, from Big Lots, and I was sitting in um, um, a cafe, and I was just writing out some ideas for July because I didn't have anything else to do while I was eating my sandwich. <clears throat> and every single idea I had was like way too big for the challenge in July. In July, which is supposed to be two 20k short stories, that's the maximum word length is 20,000 words. Which you know, honestly, I have a hard time making anyway. But it, it's always a goal, and. Um, um, so we're um, going to talk about that tonight um, Julie suggested it uh, To kind of get the juices flowing on that topic Since we're going to be doing that um, For July And um, I'm, you know, I'm still honestly Kind of um, Flummoxed over The, the cum shot And <laughs> In the chat room <laughs> You would think Here's the thing Here's the thing I am responsible For some fairly graphic Pornographic material in fandom I mean if you've never read Ties That Bind It is filthy 
Okay, it is absolutely filthy. So you would think that I I wouldn't be so easily um, thrown off my game when it comes to uh, to um, porn, but she did a number on me with that one because I just uh, good lord, I'm gonna put Jilly on because I can't even. I just <laughs> I don't know why you think I'm in any better condition. <laughs> You you could you came into the chat room right as it got posted, didn't you? <laughs> the instant, the instant, it was like I did a chat. It was, it was right there. I was like, ah! <laughs> I literally made that noise. I went, ah! <laughs> I would have I would have clutched my pearls if I had them on. <laughs> you, did you ever watch Stargate? The movie, yeah. the original? No, no, the the, the yeah. show SG One. Okay, remember when Cadet Haley first time the on um, the first time she sees the Stargate and she kind of flails back? Yeah, with her hands yeah, in the air. Was... That was me. I did a Cadet Haley, <laughs> and it, it it's actually my husband's funniest. It, it makes him laugh every time he sees it. That particular episode where she does that little flail thing in front of the gate when it opens. Um, it's just adorable, right? So. Anytime he catches me doing it, he laughs his ass off. Then I get caught at Haley for a couple of days. But anyway, I totally <laughs> did that. I it um I'm, Anyways, Sentinel AUs, do you have any ideas about what you're gonna do for July? Um, I do think I'm going to, one of them, I think, I thought about doing some sequels to some of my other stories um, that I've done for The Little Black Dress. Uh, But right now, definitely the one that's leading the pack for one of the two spots is that Harry Potter story I mentioned um, a couple podcasts ago, where Harry comes online um, very shortly after going to... um, to, to put taken to the Dursleys, and I kind of I've kind of been noodling on some of the world building. I changed it up to making Harry a guide instead of a sentinel, um, and I think between the, I kind of was like my idea was that between the trauma of his parents' death and then being suddenly isolated, that it brought him online, um, and uh, some of the world building aspects I'm working on. And I was thinking that actually thinking that. Um, the magical world wouldn't be such a mystery to Sentinels and Guides because uh, I was talking to somebody else building on Harry Potter Sentinel world building stuff, and we were talking about the idea that empathy comes from magic, and so it um, it's a manifest. It's particularly common in squibs is that they um, develop um, emp- um, empathic abilities and um mm-hmm. but some actually magical do as well but that it's actually a magical gift so um maybe not all of them are in the know but a fairly large majority of them are aware and so sentinels have um a, a, an awareness of um at least to a degree the magical world and uh I'm kind of toying. This is where the world building may get artificially, may get bigger. The plot may get bigger than is necessary. Is the idea of um, 
having uh, the British Wizarding World have a distinctly lower number of guides than anywhere else in the world, and it's because they've deliberately magically blocked that trait, Um, even though it's like against their treaty with the Sentinel Guide Council kind of thing. Um, Anyway, I'm still kind of new. Yeah, I'm still kind of. I think it's come. I do think that Dumbledore would make the. if Britain has a tendency of kind of disdaining that as a magical gift, that he would, they could kind of arrogantly assume that they could get away with. He could, you know, if he had strong enough wards, he could place Harry at the Dursleys, and nobody would investigate his circumstances. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so. But yeah, so I'm kind of moving on that, and I'm thinking about doing. I've had a couple of um, plot bunnies where, um, not really the Sentinel thing. A couple of plot bunnies where Tony raises Harry, um, and I'm thinking about like from from a young age, and I'm actually thinking about doing maybe bringing kind of merging a couple of ideas into this Sentinel idea, where Tony um, is maybe already with his Sentinel. Um, Steve, of course, because who else? Um, mothership, mothership. And, um, yeah, mothership. And um, he's uniquely magically compatible with Harry to shield Harry's mind while he's growing up. So he goes to England and they figure that out. Anyway, they figure all that. But that would be the thrust of the story is figuring out that Tony is magically compatible with Harry and that he's able to shield his mind and um, all of those shenanigans. So instead of it being focused on like a guide finding their sentinel or sentinel finding their guide kind of thing is kind of have it be a little bit more focused on this sort of building a family kind of vibe instead. So a little bit, a little bit of a different angle than what I've done before, which is I think part of the appeal mm-hmm. for me is instead of the um, finding the sentinel finding the guide thing that I've done, um, which is I, I love and I'll probably do my second story for that, but do a different spin, a different focus of like what's going on in, in Britain and, taking Harry or whatever. So that's kind of like one of the ideas I'm playing around with. I haven't, I have a lot I would like to do with that idea, but I'm also working on containing the idea to what's useful (laughs) and what's useful for this challenge. I don't, I, you know, I had a whole bunch. Like I said I, I like had one di- idea after another, and every single one of them was like, "Nope, too big, too big, too big, too big, <laughs> too big, too discard, big." Discard, discard, discard. Save for later. Save for later. It's just, it's too big, you know, because I was like, I had that first idea. Well, not the first, but the idea that I had for Harry Potter would be that um, Draco was a guide and that his parents were really, really super disappointed that he was a guide until the day he met Harry Potter on Diagon Alley and bonded with him. Well, then I thought, okay. They wouldn't even make it to the train in 20K. (laughs) What? (laughs) No. (laughs) That just would No. Yeah, no. Not happening. <laughs> well, I did. I see. I feel like I learned my lesson here. And well, I may not have learned the lesson, but I I did get an object lesson in April about trying to cut down an idea I like to a word count. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so if an idea is, if I look at an idea and go, okay, that's 100K, how do I make a 20K story out of that? For me, that's probably not productive. I need to go find a 20K story because when right. I try no, to cut I ideas down, when I try to cut a 100K idea down, um, I just wind up unhappy. Yeah, because I feel like I'm leaving out all the richness, you know? So um, if anybody's following, if anybody's reading, well, I sometimes, I don't know if it's really stupid people in the chat are reading a Leo Moto. If I had done with my original plot plan, it would have gone to the prologue, and the next thing you would have read would have been the next chapter, chapter eight, which you haven't read yet. So everything that's been written so far that wasn't the prologue would not exist if I'd gone with my plan, my cut down plan coming into coming into the challenge. Um, that I'm glad you didn't do that. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's a cut down plan. But, uh, you know, that's what, I think that sometimes there are things you can take out of an idea. Like that is there, – there are things – sometimes there's elements in your world building or your plot or whatever that are really superfluous. They're not really building towards anything. And that you make, maybe can save a 1,000 words here or there. But to take an idea that's fundamentally 100,000 words and cut it down to 20,000 words, that's not – and still try to preserve the idea, not a good idea. <laughs> You're not preserving the idea if it's – and that's what I did is I really thought I could do that. And I was wrong. I was wrong. I was mistaken. I could have done it, <laughs> but there would have been a lot of exposition and I wouldn't have enjoyed the writing. So what's the point of any of that? Yeah, And that's, that's really, you know, the point. Um, if, if, if you're not enjoying it, then, then you need to back up and figure out why you're not enjoying it because what's the point? Right. If, if, it may, I may not be able to get anybody else to like it. I mean, I see usually, usually somebody else is going to like your work, right? But trying to write to fit some other arbitrary criteria, especially the, fir- the first person has to be happy with it is me. There's no point in anybody else writing it, reading it, right? Anybody else enjoying it if I don't like it. So. Hmm. hmm. Somebody mentioned Star Trek, um, um, the Star Trek reboot um, in chat, and I'd, I'd plotted a Sentinel story in Star Trek reboot, but it's a monster. It's it's a behemoth, so that's out for it sure. It certainly I'm, is. I'm guessing that one at like three, a quarter of a million words. So I think that's like 250K easily, so that one's out. I would agree. I've, I've dipped um, twice into start the new verse for Sentinel. Um, one that I completed and one um, that I have on EAD. Um, and eh, I don't know. I mean, the, the thing is, is, it's interesting, right? But there's already so much there between Kirk and Spock that it seems kind of frivolous to slap a Sentinel on top of it. I don't know, I, I don't know because um I, I don't know it's just um I enjoyed writing wrath but it's it's not um it doesn't intrigue me because uh it is my headcanon that the new Kirk is half betazoid so he already had telepathic and empathic abilities and a Vulcan isn't human so he already has abilities beyond human standard too and it just 
I don't know. I, I just didn't enjoy it as, as, as much as I thought I would. Yeah, I could see. I mean, I could see that with that particular duo. Um, like you said, there is already so much there. But I think I think I don't know. Maybe I'm speaking for myself. I think I would have to write a very long story with those two. Um, that isn't so much focused on the Sentinel thing. I don't think. But I mean, I have them being a pair in that big start, that big epic. But the the point of the story isn't really about any one particular pairing. So, um, yeah, I can see what you mean. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what it is. It, it, it isn't about the intimacy or their friendship or um, it, there's just, um, it just seems to, how do you say that word? Superfluous. Yes. Thank you. It was not going to come out of my mouth. <laughs> the thing is, is when I when I look at the the idea of the Sentinel and God, especially the fan version of it, um, I, I I look to it and I see how um, I how it would enhance them individually and together as a couple. But my version of Kirk and Spock, my headcanon for them for the new verse, um, they don't need that. It'll be fifteen to twenty k for July, and maybe it's because I wrote Tangled Destinies, and there's so much intimacy in Tangled Destinies that it's really shaped my head canon. Well, you know, I think that there's, there's something, and I just kind of have like a little plot bunny. It's a very little plot bunny though, so it's like like a five k plot bunny, um, but. There is something to mention something up further up in the chat about the friendship loses its impact. There is something to be said for the evolution of their relationship. Um, and whether you, the way you did it in Tangled Destinies or whether just as, as it is in canon, how their friendship evolved and how if you were to write fan, you know, fan fiction of, of what is happening, you know, in the movies, um, there's an easy, I think there's an easy evolution to, from friends to lovers there. And, we often, not always, but often, the Sentinel Guide thing is sort of an instant relationship, you know? Um, mm-hmm. it, it, it's, it's a vehicle to get people together very quickly um, and to kind of tear down the barriers you have, you know, the normal barriers to people getting to know each other. Because if somebody's an empath and somebody can smell, you know, all these different things, they just kind of – you you get past all that a lot of that getting to know each other stuff. So it, it kind of the Sentinel Guide trope in a way is like a relationship accelerant. And it can easy you know, it's often used that way. And when you apply that to Kirk's Kirk and Spock, um I I could see how depending on how you did it, it could feel like it kind of is as you said, unnecessary or that it could also feel like it cheapens what you see in canon um somewhat. Because there's so much already there. Um, anyway, um, so my like little mini bunny, that I don't know that I'll ever do anything with it, but the little mini, mini bunny, was I thinking about well, what, what, how would I kind of like, if I wanted to kind of honor their intimacy, what would I do with that? And it's like, well, if they're already lovers, they're already in a committed relationship, maybe married, I don't know. Um, and like one day making love, they just both come online simultaneously and it just kind of happens like just in that instant. And it's just 
like the next thing for them. It's like the next evolution of the bond they already have is maybe bringing up some sort of uh, maybe like a dormant skill, um, something that has been lost because tribes, you know, the whole tribal thing, tribal protector, weren't really needed anymore. Um, but anyway, yeah. I've got that brain weasel going on now. <laughs> At least it's not a beast. <laughs> <laughs> that gig just so good about the beast with it, the little, the little, you know, fur popping out in every direction was was really perfect. Yes, plot beast, plot beast. But yeah, um, I don't know. I also had this idea that. Um, Magical guides are really, really, really super rare. And Hermione is one. And she's been hiding it all along. Um, since she came into the magical world, she's been online. And she's been hiding it. Um, and Harry comes online during the Department of Mysteries as a sentinel. And she's screwed. <laughs> <laughs> all that hiding gone. <laughs> So that was an idea, but then that wouldn't be 20K either. I, I couldn't even get them out of the Department of Mysteries in 20K. So that's ridiculous. So I think that this year for um, July, I am definitely not going to indulge in my ridiculous quest to write Harry Potter under 20K. <laughs> Just not going to do it this year. So that kind of leaves me with... Um, uh, the mothership, which is never a bad thing, and Stargate. Um, I did have a plot bunny. Uh, for a time travel for Stargate, and it's not common for me to to have a time travel plot bunny for Stargate, and it's um not really related to this uh plot drift, but I'm gonna share it with you anyway. So. The Stargate program ten years down the road, and Jack O'Neill shows up at John Shepard's house, um, and McKay has um, died in the past, and Daniel has ascended permanently, and Jack asked John if he could do it all over again, would he? And John says yes. And Jack says, great, get in the car. And he takes John to Area 51, where there's an ancient device that he's fixed on his own. And John and Jack go back in time. (laughs) Oh. That I was like, oh, what do I do with that? What do I do with that? Where would they go? And I realized immediately that Jack would go back far enough to save his son. That there, there, there's no way he wouldn't. Um, and um, but he was already a colonel at that point, so he's got a lot. He's got a lot. He he can do some maneuvering. He can still go to Abydos. He knows how that's going to work out. He knows they're going to get home. Um, uh, his marriage ain't going to survive this. <laughs> Because the Jack O'Neill who goes back in time is profoundly, deeply in love with Daniel Jackson, <laughs> whom he's mm-hmm. not met yet, but is planning on meeting as soon as possible. 
for some reason I'm visualizing, I don't know why this is the first thing that popped into my head when you mentioned Jack goes to Abydos because he knows how that's going to turn out. It's like, he just like is accelerating. He just like put, practically pushes Daniel in front of that cartouche and go, I think that's what you're looking for, right? <laughs> just looking, looking for. at him like, yeah. like, what are, when did you start being able to find and decipher Egyptian tablets? What's the matter with you? <laughs> I'm smart. <laughs> Anyways, I just had this this little bunny in the car when I was coming home from the grocery store um, of of John and Jack doing it because you know it's always like McKay or Carter making a you know them making a mistake and it or happens or they do it on purpose but it's always one of the geeks right but what if it was the, <laughs> what if it was Jack and John who just went you know what fuck it this didn't work out the way we wanted it to we're gonna try again. <laughs> <laughs> they would have no no fucks to give about the timeline either. No, like, they would not. You would be like, no, we need to ch- uh-uh. we need to change shit for the better. I had this idea of them like in the car on the way there, and and John like saying, so um, we're gonna make all these changes. Is there anybody you'd like us to take out? <laughs> <laughs> Jack would be like, I got a hit list. Great. Great. I'm decent with a sniper rifle. <laughs> Kenzie would be dead. Yeah. It would just be I don't know, it just it just kinda popped into my head because earlier in the day we were talking about themes for November and I had written down on there, um, Fix It, Fix, and Revenge, and it was kind of percolating in my head, and that isn't what we ended up choosing for um, November, but it just kind of stuck in my head, and I was just... Uh, well, there's nothing wrong with Fix It, Fix, and Revenge. People going back in time and avenging themselves on people who actually haven't done it yet. <laughs> this is for what you did to me the first time around. <laughs> this is a karmic debt that you have incurred. There was that. There was a line in um, one of my Harry Potter fics where Harry has found a ritual, a time ritual in the Black Library that the Black ancestor created for the sole purpose of going back in time to kill someone again. <laughs> oh, the blacks! <laughs> There's so much fun you can do with them. <laughs> Because the first time wasn't satisfying enough, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Some people need it twice, apparently. Anyway, that really amused me, that one line in that fic. But it's just the idea of um, Jack and John being the ones to do it because they have those super ATA genes. <laughs> they just say, fuck it. <laughs> And at some point, they're going to have to confess, right? At least to Rodney and Daniel that they, that they've done this. And McKay will be like, "You did what? <laughs> Is anything the way it was supposed to be? Is anything?" And they look at each other. Well, there's still no fish in my pond. <laughs> <laughs> That's about it. <laughs> they both would be horrified. I think Daniel would be like, 
you guys didn't change anything, did you? What was the point of time travel if we weren't going to change anything, Daniel? <laughs> you don't travel through time not to change things. Why bother? I always you do it by like accident the... and you want to preserve the timeline. But if you do it on purpose, you're going back to fix some shit. That's right. Or the funny thing is, like, it's sort of like the whole, well, it's sort of, you, can, you, can, you can time travel, but don't change more than this one thing. It's like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding Fuck me? It. No, not happening. I'm going to go all in. Go big or go home. There was a show. I don't know if it was renewed. It kind of, I didn't like the formula, ultimately. Um, I think it was last year it was on. I don't know what it was called. Somebody in the chat will no doubt remember. But the thing is, they were so they had built it some because some bozo built a time machine as you do, and um, the government had this program to protect it. Da, da, da. Well, of course, some asshole stole it, and all they had was a prototype. And so they're trying to chase this, this asshole who's trying to change history to make certain things happen. Um, and um, so they're sending these people back on the prototype. They're sending a historian and a military person and a science person, basically, um, back in time to try to prevent any changes, to try to catch these guys and prevent them from making changes in the timeline. And they kind of explored that kind of idea of, like, a minor change. Um, so like, I think it was the first episode, time, Timeless, is that what it was called? I think the first episode was the Hindenburg and the Hinden, they kind of had to ensure the Hindenburg still blew up, <laughs> which is a terrible thing to have to go back in time to do, um, because that was what the people who were going back in time were trying to stop, was stop it from that, that, the, the, the explosion from happening. So they kind of had to pre- – trying to make sure – I think that's what they're trying to do, trying to make sure the Hindenburg still blew. Um, but they, they basically got it to explode, but at a different, slightly different point. And – that small change about who was on board the Hindenburg at the time that there was a, that exploded um, um, caused the historian when she went back to the future, her sister no longer existed, and it was like there was not no obvious connection as to why that would be, but it was just this little change she had made that this thing they they did this one change in the event the event still happened it just didn't happen in quite the same way and now her sister who had been wiped from existence so um and that became a of course a big internal motor internal and external motivator for the whole series for her was trying to figure out how she got her sister back um but um i think the, my issue with their formula and the reason why i didn't stick with it is because that became the formula for every episode was that they weren't able to prevent the bad guys from doing the thing, and they spent the whole episode trying to course correct to make sure the bad thing happened or the good thing happened or whatever, and then go back and forward in time and figure out what the consequences were. So it was a little bit annoying. I mean, just go back in time. I, it, time travel kind of has to be a kind of a one-way shot. Like you just go back and, and you make things right and you just deal. The jumping back and forth in time thing is crazy cakes. Save yourself I don't like it either. I don't like it either. For those of you who are curious about the theme for November, we've gone with um, uh, uh, not quite human, uh, mutants, bio modification. So you could do a mutant AU, um, 
superhero, your character becomes a superhero because of chemical exposure or genetic experimentation or spider bite or, you know, radiation, or you could um, turn Darcy into the Hulk. That'd be fun. Um, Or you can do um, uh, Spartans, biomodification, that kind of thing. So, technology or evolution? What do we call it? Mm, It's in the chat room. I don't remember what the name we gave it was. I I remember, like, like, um, I subscribe. My initial suggestion was something like super up your unicorn, but that was not what we went with. (laughs) Well, it's because November um, is a nano, so I try not to make fandom-specific themes for November because some people like to write original fiction. How dare they? I know. I'll never do it again, but whatever they want to do is up to them. I would only do it more if I never had the intention of trying to sell it. I'm going to call it More Than Human. More Than Human. Challenge. I think it'll be fun. I think it'll be fun, too. I already got that shit plotted out, too. <laughs> I'm all in. But, um, I, I, I mean, know. I always thought I, I've always, I've always, no ideas are huge. All my Sentinel ideas are huge. I, uh, <laughs> yeah, my, well, I've got several. I have actually, I've plotted several. Over the course, just over the course of time that I haven't written, and also recently, and um, you know, once you had mentioned Little Black Dress was coming, I started. Doing, I've got a few that are short, but they kind of tend to follow a the for, a formula. Um, you know, Sentinel guy yeah. comes online and then goes and finds their counterpart, and and things happen. And in 20K, you can you can do that story. So my the kind of thing I'm kind of you know asking myself is, do I want to do? Um, I want to do don't want to do that again, and I I I love that those stories, um, and I I wouldn't have a whole a whole you know like you know per, you know metaphorical folder full of folders a uh, folder full of ideas of of stories that follow that theme if I didn't like it, um, and it's very doable in twenty k. But I'm just kind of like pondering. I I, I kind of I I may have mentioned this on the prior podcast. I've kind of had an idea, uh, like a feral guide thing. Um, and it, I I I'm a little bit. Um, I think I could do it in 20k, sort of maybe. Because the I don't think so. <laughs> you don't seem too I mean, sincere about that. Maybe. <laughs> well, it depends upon at what point do I what point where I started the story. Um, so if I started the story at the point that the feral episode happened, no, I would have to have to go forward for the. I know it'd be twenty k, but I um, yes, you can you can write a sequel as long as it stands can stand alone. 
to some degree. Um, yeah, I did do the primacy, but this was more of a this, the idea I had for this was that, um, and my revamped idea for this is that it starts with a congressional hearing as opposed to starting with the feral episode. It starts with a congressional hearing about it, which was that um, there's like legal protections, you know, for sentinels who are feral because of, you know, injury to a guide or whatever to, you know, if they, if they hurt, if they kill somebody in revenge or whatever, but there's no protections for guides because it hasn't been guides haven't had, um, and they call it something else. Um, I actually came up with a word in my plot building document for it. But they didn't call it feral. But that um, Kate was a guide at the moment that she died, and Tony was latent, a latent guide. And um, when she was killed, his their minds connected, and he came online. Um, and he was able to um, – he sort of mentally connected with Ari at the moment that Kate died. And he tracked Ari down. He just walked right off the rooftop and tracked Ari down and killed him in a fugue state. And um, they tried to, you know, imprison him for this. Um, And the Sentinel Guide Council does this whole evaluation situation. They explain the whole thing and they issue a finding that a guide in this situation is not anymore legally um, to be held legally to account than a Sentinel would be. And so I'm thinking about starting in the story at the point of the um, congressional hearing about the whole issue. And, um, you know, Blair's there and he's talking to a senator who's trying to <clears throat> make it so that guides, you know, there's no, make it sound like there's no such thing as a feral episode, <clears throat> pardon me, for guides. And, um, and then Tony just wants to get the hell out of D.C. So he heads to Hawaii. And so it'd be like cut from the congressional hearing to – Hawaii, where Steve has been informed, who's the you know alpha sentinel of, of uh, on, on the island, that um, I'd be doing some serious juggling on Steve's storyline. But he's a sentinel, so there's reasons why he's not in the field at that point. And so there's kind of the whole conversation. Oh God, that killer guide is coming here. So there'd be this whole, do we want that killer guide on the island? <laughs> so anyway, it was. I'm still kind of like toying with where that would go. Um, if I wanted to kind of make it kind of more of a funny kind of thing, not funny, funny, like crack, but kind of just sort of this amusing Tony's perceived as being a murderous guide by a lot of people. Um, and they're very scared of him, um, or take it more seriously and have that kind of, um, you know, what this means and how it, it changes his life and, you know, he and Steve meeting, all that kind of stuff. So It would also impact other guides because once it's established that a guide could do that, that means any guide could do that. The potential. I mean, the state is something that he slips into. It happened, but, you know, it's like he said, I'm going to become feral and go do this. But, yeah, any guide could become a killer guide, right? And the way he killed Aerie was mentally. He didn't kill him, like, you know. Well, he didn't, like, shut his autonomous functions down with his brain. But what he did was he basically paralyzed him mentally so that he could just reach out and snap his neck. Is the way I visualize it. It's like Aerie's in the car and Tony walks up to the vehicle, and he basically prevents him from moving, breathing, just stops his functioning, and just reaches out and breaks his neck. Um, and so there's, you know, there's, there's kind of a like a 
awareness about disability, and it kind of puts it in the spotlight. And yeah, I think there could be a, 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 a backlash to all guides. It's like, you know, could any guide go do this? Could they be that dangerous? Could they... Um, Pro tip, don't be a terrorist around a guide. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, and so actually the, that was one of the things I was having, because Blair's like doing the, you know, handling the pri- primarily being the person who's handling the questioning in this um, um congressional investigation, this congressional hearing. And he says, you know, yes, this could, it's rare the circumstances would align that a guide would slip into a state like this and, and go and kill the person responsible. It's an unusual kind of confluence of events, but it certainly can happen. And if you would think that it needs to be avoided, then I would suggest that you not kill somebody standing next to a guide. That would be the smart thing to do. Just, you know, don't be rude. (laughs) Yeah, that's just terrible shit. So I think, I mean, there is some story in there that I could tell in 20K. I'm just kind of noodling on what exactly the story is because, you know, anytime you're telling a story, you got to know what the point is, right? What story are you trying to tell? And um, am I trying to tell a story about things changing for guides? Am I trying to tell a story about Tony getting past the difficult part in his life and moving on? Am I trying to tell a story about um, Steve being really overly enamored with the idea of a guide that kills people? I mean, what story am I trying to tell? Um, so, Yeah, because I don't imagine Steve would be like, oh, no, we can't have that. <laughs> he'd be more like, I, think, I could just kind of see him, I kind of visualize him watching the... Um, a congressional hearing and kind of going, I think I'm a little bit in love without knowing anything about Tony. It's like, oh, I kind of, Look, I, I kind of have a major crush on this guide. <laughs> he's really aggressive and he's a guide and he's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, I took totally hey, see crush happening. <laughs> yeah, and then Steve's like, How he, he's in the island. Really? Hawaii, Papo. <laughs> I have no problem with him living on the islands. Now, I don't think Sentinels would have a problem with a guide, and I actually have very certain Sentinels would be like, hell yeah. Um, it's the mundane population, really, that would be like, uh, is this a good idea? Should we allow yeah, guides that would be to be... the same ones who would have a, a problem with a feral Sentinel. True, true. But I think that the idea of the feral Sentinel, you know, based upon the world building I've done in the past, is... Um, um, sort of baked in. It's like society's used to it. Um, so you like and to guys know certain things not to do. A safe haven to calm a sentinel down. But what happens if a sentinel and guide pair go feral together? Mm-hmm. Now, see, I like that. I mean, because the thing is, I think that you know. Um, you could, I think maybe that there's kind of the issue of like the mundane population going. Um, we're used to sentinels being dangerous, and we don't know what to do about guides being dangerous. And the sentinels are kind of scratching their heads and going, "You didn't think guides were dangerous, really? Really? You guys kind of lost the Here's plot, what didn't you, you do: don't be an asshole. 
It works for all guides. There you go. Just don't be an asshole. It's not complicated. What is that? I had another idea. This one be short. This is more of a coming online kind of situation under coming online under under interesting circumstances. And I tried um, writing a version of this, uh, but it was stupid. Um, even in retrospect, <laughs> like a year later, it was stupid. So sorry. I need to I need to rethink my plot choices. Um, but I was, um, I had this idea of like that when Tony was um, being held captive in um, Somalia, um, that they send us, um, that the, the backup, the, Steve's unit is the one that goes in, is the backup for that team. And they, they didn't meet Tony because Tony's going in undercover. Um, Tony and Tim went in in a different route because they basically went in country undercover, whereas Gibbs was meeting with the SEAL team and briefing them on what the mission would be, all that kind of thing. Um, and so the team gets close, and I'm thinking it's like mostly a Sentinel unit. And they're a little flummoxed because there's a latent guide in that building being tortured. <laughs> they're not happy about it. And Tony comes online as a result of the whole experience with a bunch of SEAL Sentinels surrounding the building. So I think that would go badly for anybody inside the building. Um, Maybe Ziva would die by accident. Oh. Yeah, wouldn't that be great? <laughs> Damn, sorry. She was in the way and she seemed hostile. Just saying. Of course, I'd probably upset Tony, so it shouldn't be Steve who does it. I'm just saying. Yeah, just saying. <laughs> it is, it is a, actually, it's a really interesting idea that they... Because you, couldn't you just imagine those sentinels going, what the fuck did you do sending a gu- Are you serious, Gibbs? <laughs> you, you couldn't have warned us? Guide? <laughs> yeah, I was actually thinking there'd be like a recon team that's out closer, keeping eyes on and letting them know what's going on. And they report back and they go, why weren't we told that one of the, you know, one of our one of the two friendlies is a, is a, is a guide? And Steve like looks at Gibbs and this guy Really? That was some pertinent information. Um, like, but actually, how many comes online before time. they get there? Uh, no, he's uh, he's latent, and so they can they can smell that he's in distress, and that his um um they can tell that he's uh that he's latent, and they're like, and they feel like the sentinels report back. We feel like he's on the cusp of coming online. He's smelling like a guide. Um. And Steve's like, well, holy shit, that's just what we need right now as a guide coming online while he's being tortured. <laughs> so, Excellent. Good um, job. Great. Great work, everybody. But You're I, all fired. But I have this <laughs> idea that because Tony comes online surrounded by all of these sentinels that he um, sort of mentally connects at once to all of them and creates an instant pride. And they're kind of like all stuck together for a while, not in a, you know, bonded type thing, but that he creates a pride bond between all of them, like on the fly, because he he just sort of like, um, because they're all there. And because he was in danger and in distress when this, when he came online, he just sort of mentally reached out for all the sentinels around him. Um, 
So he gets to keep them all for a while. <laughs> These are my sentinels. Sort of. This is my pack of <laughs> this is my pack of sentinels. Don't mess with them. I only get to keep one. <laughs> Probably. I tried I tried to stretch myself a little bit. I do see Tony I can see Tony as a sentinel guide pretty easily. Um I've written him as both. Um, but Tony's never the problem in the pairing. It's who's on the other, who he's paired with, who his his bondmate yeah. is. Because I I have a harder time seeing some of the people I pair him with as being guides. So that limits my opportunities to make Tony a sentinel. Um, like I I tried actually plotting a story where Steve was the guide, and it did not work for me. Um, I've actually read, I've been, I'm pretty sure I've read a couple of guide Steve stories. Um, and it's, it, they were good, but it's just a matter of, you know, where my head canon is. And I see him as almost like an archetype for a sentinel. So um, I couldn't write John Shepard as a guide. I don't think I could either. I just no. Nope. So it's like I could see Rodney either way, but pairing him with John makes Rodney the guide by default. Because I have a rigid headcanon about one character, and I have a rigid headcanon about Steve, but I don't have a rigid headcanon about Tony. Um, I I'd, I'd plotted a Don Epps, Tony, Sentinel Guide story. I wasn't really enamored with it, but I plotted it. Um, and... Um, Um, I can't see Don as a guide either, so that didn't work. I was actually kind of flailing about for um, people I could pair Tony with that I could see in the guide role, and I was pretty limited in, in people I was interested in writing him with that I saw as, as being guides. So um, there you go. So that's why um, Tony's mostly a guide, even though I have no problem writing him as a sentinel. People I could... See, let's see. Um, Cameron Mitchell. Um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, mm. I could actually I could see that. Um, no, I can't see Ian as a guide either. Dean, who? Winchester. I don't think so. Um, I don't think I would. Uh, I I I I know it probably exists. But I would never pair Dean and Tony together. I would my I would I would I would get always give the pairing a chance from a reader perspective, but I I wouldn't ever pair them. I would I would personally wouldn't write them in a pairing. So someone just, I just got a private ping. I just got a private ping of somebody asking if I would consider doing um, the next thing in Primus for November for for for. Um, July. And the answer to that one is no. It's unlike some other Sentinel stories I've written where I can write a standalone um, story. I can't do that in Primus. There's no there's no separating out that first story. There's no writing a standalone story in that universe. Well, that I could, but it wouldn't have Tony in it. I'd have to do about another. I'd have to use the world building and do about another Primus guide. It wouldn't be about Tony. But the the next thing in that in that um, what's plotted for that series is 
very dependent on the first story, which is why it hadn't. Oh, yeah, Dwayne Pride could be a guide. Evan Lorne on the line of Stuck on Stargate. Because Tony uh, Tony fits really well in the Stargate universe. Yeah, Evan would be a good choice. I don't want to be a really good choice. <laughs> uh, not Carson. I, I think Tony would have a really hard time with Carson's ethics. Mm-hmm. Daniel. Daniel. And I'm not. I'm like. See, I do. I could see. Rodney and Tony together if it wasn't for the fact that I can't I kind of I kind of have a little OTPing going on it snuck up on me with right? Rodney and John yeah yeah um, I don't have an OTP about Jack Daniels so I could definitely um, the idea of Evan and Daniel I think G yeah. is too emotionally constipated to be a guide <clears throat> Is he still living in an empty house? Because he was living in an empty house last time I watched that show. Um, Did he actually get furniture? Huh? Did G ever get furniture for his house? (laughs) I don't know. I got really tired. When when character angst is drawn out for too long, I get really frustrated with it. Um, I kind of just, you know, I get to the point with characters where I just want to throw them into therapy and, and tell them not to come back on the show until they sorted their shit out. So, um, as in Tony and Penelope Garcia, I actually totally shipped Tony Penelope. I wrote one story that was sort of a, a pre-relationship for them. Um, but I couldn't really see um, doing a Sentinel Guide thing with them. Um, I'm not sure why. I've written some really, I've read some really good stories with Tony with Penelope as a guide, and I thought were really, really exceptional. But um, yeah, I don't know why. It's just that them as them as a pairing totally works for me. Them as a sentinel guide pairing doesn't work for me, and I I have to probably sort out why in my brain. Well, see, the thing is, is Penelope's very um, the episode where she gets shot. Rossi says it. She's um. I forget how he says it. She's vivid um, and very um, noticeable. Mm-hmm. He says it in a way that's kind of insulting, but he doesn't mean it to be insulting. It's just that Penelope's really... Um, she's not someone I would seek out to calm down. She's that person you go to when you want to get mad er and bitch about it. You go up to her and you say, This whore and she said, Tell me all about this whore. That's that's Penelope. <laughs> She's right there with you. 
Yeah. Getting a bag, getting a bag of garbage bags at Walmart. I'm just saying she's not my idea of someone who's um, she's got a, a big heart and she's really um, someone who you know invests herself in people. But I think that she's not necessarily a calming influence. It would take a very um, very interesting sentinel for her. Uh, one of the reasons I think that John and Rodney work well together is that Rodney's so uptight and John's so laid back. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think the other issue is I have a I have a I have a strong preference for Sentinels and Guides able to work in the field together. Um I think that's probably part of the reason why I react negatively to Tony Penelope. Um, as a sentinel guide pairing, because he would never take her in the field. I think that Penelope and Ian would be an excellent sentinel guide pairing. He wouldn't take her into the field, but he wouldn't need to. He's a sniper. Yeah. All he would really need is her voice in her in his ear. Yeah, that's true. I and I, who wrote? Someone wrote Ian Penelope, and I thought it was really charming. I wrote one. Is that you? I did write one um, where they're, um, where she bought a bigger bed and doesn't oh, wear yeah, matching yeah, pajamas. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's it. That's probably where I thought it was charming. See, I had Thank just you. totally hit space. Some of my, um, sometimes those little one-shots that you read, I stopped. They just come up and easily yeah. the author. Because there's not enough there to really, you know, yeah. Someone I would love to see is a Sentinel, Jack Dalton. Yeah. Oh, I, there's there's an opportunity for Toad to be Tony to be a guy with somebody completely new. Um. <laughs> But um, I do want to explore this summer. I want to explore um, uh, spirit guides as um, more like a daemon or a demon, like from his dark materials, where they're um, where, where they can talk basically, and they have very unique personalities and. Um, You know, I've never, I've never actually, I don't think I've ever responded super well. Maybe there's been a male, there's been a couple instances where there have been, you know, spirit animals who could talk that I went, okay, that worked. But usually it doesn't work for me. So I've, it's an interesting, it'd be interesting to see how that evolves. Um, I'm intrigued by, I'm intrigued by the idea. Um, but that's not a 20K I think idea either. No, but I think framing it as his as a his dark materials kind of kind of setup helps I think a little bit mentally for me with with spirit animals who can talk. Um, but there is something interesting there about like them having like more form and more substance and like just being there because we kind of like at least me I've always kind of done and it's canon that not everybody you know people didn't see Jim's wolf I mean Jim's panther. And Blair's Wolf, they were 
kind of not visible to anybody for the rare occasion when they turned up. Um, um, but the idea that they're just visible, that it's like, it is like a visual indicator that, that you're a sentinel or guide. Because there's an animal trailing around after you. I like the idea that they can appear and reappear at will. Um so that they're not like tethered to the person like a um like a demon would be um okay because one of the reasons why I've never written um a his dark materials crossover is that, that whole tethering situation makes you feel very vulnerable and I don't like to feel vulnerable when I write but I read this really awesome fic once um, it was a his dark materials crossover with um, Stargate, and John's spirit animal was a crow. His demon, his, um, his demon, whatever how you say it, was a crow, or something very similar to that. It was a black bird, um, and most people considered it a bad omen. Um, anyway, they ended up on an alien planet, and this alien woman grabs his de- um his demon and pulls them apart and she almost successfully breaks their bond oh wow just by pulling just pulling the um bird and um it's a terrible crime on on that planet as well um and John is just he's he's devastated and then i read another one where his his demon was a bat and he got in trouble, and the demon came through the Stargate without him to to help him. But it caused them both a great deal of pain, and it's just it's 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 a very vulnerable situation, and it made me deeply uncomfortable. And so I stopped reading those those kinds of fix, even though those fix were just amazing. They were really good. Um, so I wouldn't want to write a spirit guide who was tethered to their sentinel or guide in a way that would make them vulnerable. I would like the idea yeah. of them having a personality and a, and a voice and like, oh, yeah, you fucked that up. <laughs> Good job. The, Excellent work. The, um, the, um, I read a story with uh, his dark materials of fusion once where I don't, I can't remember any context outside of this really. And it was, they were using, um, it was it was a common like interrogation or torture tactic to separate a person from their demon and hurt the demon um, to get them to cooperate. And it just it made me feel. I mean, it was it was really well written, but it just made me feel so yucky um, because basically the demon is is, is is supposed to be in a manifestation of your soul, right? Which is why right. you die when your demon dies. Um, and the idea that your soul is taken away from you and harmed is I, I know exactly what you mean about the whole idea of feeling vulnerable because that was just kind of like, um, yeah. Nope. But I did just get a really, really weird idea. Um, okay. A little, it's a little bit based on the uh, a kind of something I played with, but not a, a little bit in a different, different, totally different build on it of what I did with that um Lucifer um thing. But what if what if the spirit guides pick the sentinel and the guides? What if they like 
pop in occasionally and like sniff out some people and like turn their nose up a lot and some are more fussy than others and um and so animals pop in periodically at different places and they'll like be sniffing people out and evaluating them and sometimes they just kind of you know give the proverbial shrug and vanish again and sometimes they pick a sentinel guide somebody to be a sentinel guide um it's just a kind of interesting idea that it's like something complete some completely external something separate separate entity with separate thoughts separate you know it's completely not related to a manifestation it's literally a a, a creature from another um plane of existence that um, is choosing who best to um, guide into being a protector for their tribe, and um, that sounds pretty cool. I'm also like mentally playing with the idea now because in um, in the in beautiful decline, I had had um, spirit animals are actually one of the one of the choirs of angels um, who just have an animal form. But they get a basic, basically for the most part, get assigned who they're going to be guiding. So there was a separate, a separation in that story between um, a, a disconnect. It wasn't like it was a manifestation of your spirit appearing or anything like that. Uh, it was definitely a completely separate entity. But there wasn't this element of choosing. They kind of were more assigned. You know, you go here, you go there, sort of thing. It's my headcanon that um, spirit guides are actually uh, deceased sentinels and guides. Oh, that's interesting. And that when they die, they um, they're basically um, connected to a sentinel or a guide on Earth. Oh, I like that. What if, in a Stargate universe, what if spirit guides, what if the what if the ancients were like the asshole ancients and then the not asshole ancients, and the um, asshole ancients ascended to be their, you know, super powerful, we're not going to get involved for them, and the not asshole ancients ascended to be spirit guides. How many not asshole ancients were there? (laughs) Well, conceivably a lot, uh, but I would think that as the Sentinel guides die or pass on, that they would go back into the rotation of. Because what if it was like their, their? I mean, they they seeded the you know, especially the 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 galaxy, the galaxy, but you know, let's say especially Earth with their descendants, and they want to be sure that they're. This is something. This is like a service to their, their, you know, their, their descendants is guiding them into protecting their people. So, hmm, it'd definitely be a Stargate story. Obviously, well, it didn't have to be. I mean, that could be my head cannon, and nobody would know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> these I mean, are ascended um, beings. In um, in duality, uh. The spirit animals are um, kind of recycled in a way, and uh, because 
Harry gets the Black Dragon, and he has he's pretty legendary. There's a, there's only one Dragon Spirit Guide, and um, when he comes and introduces himself to Harry, they're like, "Oh shit! <laughs> oh, y'all need to get out of the way," <laughs> you know. But um, that was never really uh, expanded on in the fic. But um, it's because I had a bigger idea for um, Harry as a sentinel and um, being guided by the dragon um, who is just, you know, he comes in time of war and he, he he's a, a warrior spirit guide and none of them are really quite prepared for a Harry Potter who... Would just sooner kill you than look at you. <laughs> I like that idea. It's funny, and so many of the sentinels. There's two things. Often in sentinel stories, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure in your world building because you've mentioned some of that. And definitely in mine, there's all this stuff going on and the plotting behind the scenes that never manifests on the page, really. But then you also have that same thing with Harry Potter stories, where you have all this stuff going on behind the scenes that never manifests physically on the page. And so when you take that and you have you have a Harry Potter, it's like it's like behind the scenes squared <laughs> when you have Harry Potter yeah. sentinel stories. There's all kinds of stuff that doesn't really... Oh, yeah, he's the dragon. Yeah, the dragon. There's only one. And, um... It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun to, um... To play with those concepts, but... I'm not... You know, writing short in Harry Potter is, is notoriously difficult for me. You guys might have noticed. Um... And so I'm going to have to take it off the table for July if I want to accomplish the 20Ks. I'm halfway finished Chapter 5 on my um, April fic, by the way. Woohoo. And I've lost 14 pounds. That is exceptional. Since March 22nd. Holy crap, girl. I know. My food is no fun. Nada. No fun. It's terrible over here. It is terrible. We're both going through but time I am, counting. But I am on a new medication that I think is probably um, the um, the true hero in this particular situation. Because it's making me burn out sugar. Um <clears throat> But yeah, I did cut out my carbs. I've I've gone um I've cut my carbs by uh, a little over 50%. Um, cuz I'm a carbholic, I'll be perfectly honest. Um I never piece of, I never met a piece of bread I didn't love. So, yeah. But my A1C was dumb, so I had to I had to get um I had to get serious cuz I don't want to end up on insulin. And I managed to stay pre-diabetic for 15 years with just diet. And I can no longer say that. So just just to be 15 years at pre-diabetic is pretty good to, to not tip over, um, just managing it through diet. But um, 
I got the official diabetes notification diagnosis in in March. It's full blown. So I have to be I have to be better. But 14 pounds in 20 days, 30 days, 30 days. That's that's great. I um I've been doing the careful carb looking at where carbs are coming in lately and. Unbeknownst to me, my favorite little thing I would go off and have um, um, is a, for breakfast is a hundred hundred carbs in it, hundred grams of carbohydrates. Uh, it's a fruit like, salad, what, really? It's not really. It's sort of a fruit salad, sort of like a sorbet with granola and fresh fruit and coconut on it. Yeah. Dairy, my biggest carb hits are dairy and um, fruit. So, yeah, yeah, I was... Fruit is just... But sugar from fruit is a better carb than sugar from just sugar. So it's a long-lasting carb. It isn't going to hit your um, blood sugar the way, say, a candy bar would. You just gotta be um you just gotta be careful with it. Because not all sugars are created equal, so there. I just that's that's the that's the bowl, the island pataya bowl. I'm gonna miss it, but it looks really it good. Anymore. Delightful. But it's 100 but grams that's of carbs. Ridiculous. So. Yeah, and I only get 30 grams of carbs per meal. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. So that's more than I get in the whole day in one bowl. And it's not good the next day because the, the freaking granola gets soggy and the island pitaya melts. So the, the sorbet crap melts. So it's just like, no, that just has to go. I got to quit looking at it. <laughs> It's this sorbet mixture of this stuff. It's mangoes, pineapple, um, peaches, strawberries, and this stuff. I don't have any idea what the pink stuff is. But she eats it, or she did. I do. (laughs) Um, It's it's a fruit called, the fruit is actually called pitaya. I thought they were just calling it something else. So it's pitaya, um, pitaya, mangoes, Pataya, mangoes, peaches, strawberries, and um, pineapple. So, but yeah, here, here, here where the carbs like, are coming from. You can there's there's 14 grams of carb in a medium sized banana. There are seven carbs in a mandarin orange. 14 carbs, carbs in, in a banana. medium. There's 27 huh? grams of carbs in a, there's 27 grams of carbs in a banana. Like I thought that was depending on the depending on the no, size medium. of the banana. That's medium. A medium banana has twenty seven grams of carbs. Okay. So half a that's medium banana has says. fourteen. Your app that's not behind you. Uh oh. Have I have I been not putting the whole thing in? Let me look. One medium banana. Oh, it is 27 carbs. 
105 calories. 14 sugars. It's 14 sugars. That's what I was counting. Because um, I've, I've actually found out that really for me, keeping track of my sugars is more important than keeping track of my whole carb count. It's important to keep track of your carb count, obviously, when you have diabetes. But for me, I noticed when I was doing my diary um, that my actual sugar count proved to be more important. Because that's where I was getting all those lovely carbs from fruit. And I was staying under carbs, but I was going over sugar for the day repeatedly, and I didn't realize it. Mm. Grapes are ridiculous. You get like five grapes for one banana. Yeah, carbs are carbs are carbs are a sneaky thing. But this isn't a carb drift. I do that on uh, YouTube. <laughs> Watch things I can't eat anymore. I'm over there watching cake videos. <sighs> cake videos, yeah, yeah, yeah. We do love our cake videos. We watch all kinds of crazy things, though. Today it's been soap video, soap videos, soap making soap. I have no real explanation for that. I have no intention of making soap. I'm just watching other people make it. <laughs> but I don't have any intention of making and frosting a cake either. So especially since we're sitting here talking about um, talking about the uh, carbs, I'm not going to be making any cakes. But and yet I still watch cake videos. It's really sad. I I, I miss cake. Yeah, but I promise that's why myself I'm watching. if if I lost thirty pounds by like June or July, that I'm gonna make myself a cake. <laughs> I'm entitled to celebrate. <laughs> you are. It'll be a small cake. It'll be a small cake. It'll be like maybe like a a, a pound cake. <laughs> Those are kind of small, right? <laughs> I, I if I if I do, I probably just get to go down to like the bakery and get a cupcake, <laughs> a cupcake, a cupcake, and then just stare at it. No, if if I go to the bakery, I'm not coming home with anything less than tiramisu. So. I'm not sure if it's a bigger carb hit than cake or not. I'll have to look that up. Someone tried to feed Azure fake buttercream. That's just a, that's just a sin. It's terrible. Okay. It's terrible. Rogue. What? That was more disturbing than the porn pick. <laughs> That's worse than the cum shot. <laughs> I don't even know what to say to that. I would. I, well, one thing I might say is that you may not have had good buttercream. <laughs> if that's the case. If you've only ever had buttercream from a can, 
That could be the problem. Because stuff that you buy in the jar in the store is too sweet. Oh, God, you're both so terrible. And if there's any actual butter there. um, There's this, the bakery near me, they make this lemon cupcake that has this lemon. um, I don't know what they do to that lemon, lemon buttercream on it, but it is the lightest and most airy, and it's not actually very, doesn't taste very sweet, but it is super light and airy. They've like, they've like whipped that to death, and it's really lemony, and I just, I, I don't even want the cupcake. I just want them to like fill up a bowl with that icing, that uh, that buttercream, and just give it to me, because it's terrible how good that is, and it really is not all that sweet tasting. It doesn't like... You're making my mouth bomb. water. You need to stop. You're making oh, my mouth God, water. God, that's good. Um, okay, so back to Sentinel. So, what are what, what do you what do you think you're gonna try to do? Like, well, I'm gonna try. I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with my three act formula to to, to try to stay under um, 20k. Um, and I had uh, at a pairing list. Um, and really, in order to stay under my word count, I can't explore a new pairing because when, uh, whenever I hit a new pairing, I just <laughs> just like there goes a boom. <laughs> I recently shared with the bitch squad my thirty thousand words of girl style fic that came out of nowhere. I've never even watched a single episode of Teen Wolf. I I have no business writing Teen Wolf fic. And yet I did. Did you read it? It's a hot mess. I have not re- I I have not read it yet. I um can you share it yesterday, right? Um no, yes. Just- Maybe. Yeah, I think it was yesterday. I've read some of the snippets, but I didn't read the thing as I was just really busy today, so but it's like it's like sitting there taunting me. Um uh, No, I hadn't considered a team sharing. But we there we, we we saw a couple of videos, uh the fan vids, team of fan vids, um was it last week or the week before? Yeah. That, that could inspire me to, I don't know, do something. It, it, if, if I wasn't inspired to write Team Wolf, that would certainly be inspiring. Very much so. It was very Ooh. good work. Um, like, whoa, wow. Yeah. Yay. But, yeah, I, I, I wrote Girl Styles because I feel like if, if I'm going to go into a fandom where I know absolutely nothing and never watch a single episode, I might as well kick them in the nuts at the same time. Might as well. So, you know, things get stay puffed. It's it's what it is what it is. I regret nothing. Except that I really didn't write down any kind of plot. Regret <laughs> pointless. It's I said I don't even have much of an idea. I'm just gonna write this little thing and it'll be and then now it's thirty thousand words and I'm not done. So I can't do a new pairing in July. I can't be trusted with that kind of thing. Uh, 
Okay, I found the video. The first video, I found the first video. So that we actually watched it on Facebook. So it took me a minute to actually find it on YouTube. But you know, might as well. We're going to talk about prettiness. We might as well let everybody know, read it, see it, whatever. Um, there we go. Hopefully, I pasted in the right video link and not a cake video. There we go. Yeah, whoever did whoever did the video manipulation on this was freaking brilliant. Um, like they need to consider a new career. They need super to talented or something. Super super talented. Yeah, so I'm trying to consider. I mean, I don't know what I would do with. Um, so I don't think I could actually. I don't think I'm just. I'm kind of eliminating um, a, a little bit mentally eliminating um, Teen Wolf as a, as a viable thing for me for 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 a 20k challenge because there's a lot of complication with werewolves and sentinels and guides in the same universe. Um, mm-hmm. So either you have to get rid of you have to make it a human AU. Um, doesn't do a lot for me. I mean, I I wrote one. I wrote the short thing that was a human AU. But that was sort of like a 1,500-word one-off. Whenever I do anything that um, is under, like, 5K, um, that's usually very experimental for me, and it's not really reflective of anything necessarily that I'm particularly interested in. So, in general, I mean, I have read some Team Wolf Human AUs that I thought were really good. But, in general, the allure to me is the supernatural element. So, when you take that away, I've lost a little bit of the hook. Um so if you wanted it, to to lay Sentinel and God on top of Teen Wolf um, in a short format, the the first thing you're going to have to do is eliminate some complications. And the biggest complication is in Teen Wolf is that werewolves are not known. Yeah. So if you make it a world where werewolves are known, and it's not a problem, oh okay, yeah, he's a werewolf. It's fine. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Holy shit, you're a single too? That could be a problem. But let Wow. Okay. <laughs> Not quite what I was expecting. Um but yeah, so if you have to start eliminating complications if you want to do a short in a situation like that. And the biggest complication in Dean Wolf in a Sentinel AU would be if werewolves were a secret because realistically in a Sentinel world there are very few secrets. Secrets. Yeah. I mean, you couldn't have, you couldn't have, I don't see how you could do a Teen Wolf Sentinel AU where the Sentinels don't know about, I mean, even if mundanes don't know about werewolves, I don't know how you could have the Sentinels not know. And the thing is, you want us kind of, the idea of Sentinels keeping a global secret, globally keeping a secret is pretty, you, you, that, that's a lot to keep on to. Sentinels never telling anyone about werewolves. It's not um, realistic because rogue werewolves and other elements, you know, creature elements could be considered threats to the pack, threats to the tribe. Mm-hmm. So they they would be dealt with. And sentinels aren't subtle. Yeah. No, they're not subtle. And I don't. I just don't think that you could have. If you want to keep the secrecy aspect, I don't know how you can have. You'd have sentinels have to be super rare. Or werewolves are super rare, and the werewolves are avoiding the sentinels because they know better. Because there's just no way a sentinel is not going to 
even if the, even if werewolves are careful never to shift in front of humans, they can't not smell differently. They have to, there's simply something different about them, and the first time a sentinel encountered a werewolf wandering around looking like a human, they would freak the fuck out. What is that? It would have to read like an instant threat because a werewolf would have to read like a predator to a sentinel senses. They would have to smell. They smell like a wolf, I would imagine, and from just from a sensory perspective, they would encounter. Um, they pick your supernatural creature, werewolf, vampire, whatever. A sentinel's gonna if if they've never heard of it and they've never encountered it before, especially something that reads like a predator, it's gonna freak them out. And a freaked well, out and sentinel there, is. There are two responses at that point: evacuate the area or kill the threat. Exactly. So I don't think you can have sentinels not know. And if you have the sentinels know, what are the odds are that everybody doesn't know? So. It would be easier um, just to make it, just put it all out in the open. Yeah, I agree. It is easier to put it all out in the open. Because, but it's still, it's still a bit complicated because then you have the, have the issues, are there sentinel werewolves? Um, what happens if you're a sentinel and you get bitten? What happens if you are a werewolf and you become a sentinel? Um, what happens if you're already, you know, so there's like, there's, there's a little bit of complicated, well, you could make it simple. You could say sentinels can't be werewolves, but the two things are incompatible. Um, Actually, There's actually some basis for that in King Wolf canon because Lydia is a banshee and couldn't take the bite, right? That's true. That's true. It was if you make like, sentinels um, sort of magical, sort of a magical creature just like a banshee or something like that, you could say that that's just not something that happens. And then if you want to make it happen, it could be a real big fucking surprise. <laughs> like, oh, well, shit. That's not supposed to happen. What are we going to do with this? <laughs> but that's not a short story. <laughs> no, it's not. That's why I said you have, you have all these complications to deal with. It's not just a simple meet and greet kind of thing. Um, I do, I, I kind of, I've never written in the, I don't think, I've, I don't think I have. If, if I have, I'm sure somebody will tell me, yes, you did. I don't think I've ever written an established sentinel pair, guide pair, go off and have a story together of some sort. Um, so I'm I'm considering that. but And you could kind of do that with if you're going to do like something like Teen Wolf. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a complicated fandom to bring sentinels in, just like Supernatural is to me. It's complicated to bring for the same reasons. Um, sentinels have to know. And if there's a threat... It, it there's already of, a lot know, going on. Yeah. A lot. Um, Personally, keeping I like to we, add we, this, the sentinel element to a situation that really doesn't have any other paranormal elements. Yeah. In general, I agree. Because it... It, it is a lot of complication to add the sentinel element. Um, and the thing is, you, you, you definitely can do it, but you really need to think through the consequences of what you're doing. You, you can't have shit be secret from sentinels. It, it just kind of like violates the whole world-building aspect of sentinels. Right. Um, unless you're having sentinels be super rare, um, but if sentinels are that rare, 
you're talking more of like a canon approach to Sentinels where there's like onesies, twosies here or there, and there's no support infrastructure. Once you have things like a Sentinel Guide Center or a, a council or whatever you want to have, have, once you've got any of that kind of stuff in place, when you have enough of something that it needs its own kind of governance, it needs its own, you know, um, Secretary of Sentinel Guide Affairs, once you have that, you've got a lot and you aren't keeping widespread secrets like ghosts and vampires and not you know, honestly anyway. I think realistically if sentinels existed in mass like I write that the second most popular language in America would be American Sign Language because the only way yeah. you could have a truly private conversation would be in a room with no windows where you don't talk Yeah. And actually, with the whole piggybacking of the census thing that they put in canon, that might not even be private. <laughs> I mean, canon, canon Sentinel, when they put in that piggybacking the census thing in, um, that was an astonishing bit of world building to throw out without considering the consequences. Um, like the idea that Jim could listen to a conversation and just send a sight along with his hearing. Um, I may have occasionally referenced piggybacking of senses and kind of thing, but not often because I find it to be a very, um, if Sentinels could do that really as, as a world building element, it's really problematic. If they could really do that, it would be like a very closely kept secret. You know, like, one of the things that I did in a story, and I'm not sure if I actually um, ever put it out there or not, I'm not sure if it's published, um, is that um, John had the ability to kind of expand his his touch sense beyond his own body, and he could tell you, based on that, if you had weapons, what kind of weapons you had, you know, he could use he could piggyback his touch sense on his sight and kind of get an idea of um and I forget what I did it in. I forget what it, what it's in, but it was um I think that's the only time I've ever done it. But I mean you're kind of you're kind of playing with a canon concept in that. You went a different direction with it. Um but when you think about it's um Wow, I mean, that is just, I, I just find that to be kind of like a stunning piece of um, world building. Um, that if people, if like the government and stuff knew Sentinels could do that and it was a common trait, um, man, they, they'd not be happy. Hmm. I'm not sure if it's an EAD. I I I don't remember. But it was um I'm not sure if I put it up on um EAD or not because I wasn't sure what I was gonna ever do with it. But uh that was just it's it's a very interesting concept. Um but I would be in playing with it, I would be very careful. Um 
and what I paired it with, you know, that piggybacking. Because while I can see Jim doing that with hearing if he had line of sight, but I don't know how he could possibly do that unless you have some kind of connection to the psionic plane, how he could do that into a room with no windows. Yeah, you'd be talking about piggybacking onto smell or... Um, it's, an extra percent, it's an extra sensory um, perception that goes beyond physical ability. Yeah. Yeah, it is. But it's interesting. But that could be where it comes from, actually. Um, the Blair, you could even have that be part of the thing, is that Blair tapped into something spiritual when he taught Jim how to do that. Um but I mean, because the idea that you could have like a blindfold or have your eyes closed and um, or be out outside of a room that has no windows and that has no sound and all you're hearing. Oh, God, I just got a bunny. Oh, God. Oh, 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 let's hear the bunny. OK, it's a plotting. Did you guys ever watch that cheesy ass, amazing movie called The Beastmaster? Yes, yes, of course. Remember when he used the hawk's eyes to see? Yeah. Oh. What if sentinels oh. could use their spirit animals and see and hear through their spirit animals? Oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. I approve of this plot, Bunny. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because it was like it was just kind of popped into my head. That's brilliant. Yeah, I freaking love that movie. By the way, it's a great movie. Some of those, some of those, um, they're they're actually awful, but we we love them anyway because they were just so entertaining from that time period. Um, you had Beastmaster and what was it Red Sonia? Um, oh, I love Red Sonia. <laughs> it's just it's terrible. It's like it's, you're sitting there watching it, going, "This is such drivel," and I'm loving every minute of it. I love it. Um, Night of the Comet. Fucking love Night of the yes. Comet. <sighs> Mark Singer was beautiful. He was the Beastmaster. Um, I used to watch the Beastmaster like at least once a quarter. <laughs> uh, wow. Beastmaster has really interesting world building elements to it. Um, I don't want to know if he's an asshole. Don't tell us. Don't tell us. Because I can't even watch Hercules anymore. Right, exactly. That's exactly where my brain went to. Because Kevin Sorbo is a... He's such a twat publicly, it's really hard to avoid that knowledge. Right? It's all ruined for me. I can't even watch Andromeda. That doesn't work. What the hell? Yeah. See? There we go. 
I'll use the tool correctly. <laughs> oh, it hurt my feelings so bad when one of the weasels died. Yeah. Was it Poto who died? I think so. But they were babies, and that was great. But still. Good movie. Anyways. And creeptastic. There are some creeptastic elements to Beastmaster that I didn't quite get when I was a kid. And then when I watched it as an adult, I went, oh, shit. (laughs) What? (laughs) What the hell am I watching? (laughs) And yet. Yeah, Red Sonja is the same way when I saw that as a I was probably early teens when I saw it. And some of that stuff just went right by me. Right by me. Yeah, well, when I watched it again and I realized that it began with a gang rape, I was like, I, I, why didn't I notice that when I was little? Why didn't I get that? It just went right over my head. Yeah. Or it yeah. could be that my mom I just, didn't I just, let me watch that part. I don't. I just, I think it went, I think it went over my head. And I think that as an adult, when I watched it the first time as an adult, I was like, well, I'm going to fast forward to part of this movie. Um, I had no idea that was going to happen. Um, it was just, I, I don't remember it being that way when I was a little kid. So I'm wondering if my mom might have fast-forwarded through that part so I wouldn't see it. Could be. Because sometimes she did censor stuff for me. You know, and I don't remember ever watching that movie without her, now that I think about it. Yeah, I never really got into Hercules, um, the TV show. But I did kind of get into Xena for a little while. And um, and then I realized that there was a Xena fandom, and uh, and like one of the first stories I stumbled across was Xena Ares, and I went, I, I head nope. tilted and was like, what? <laughs> I, I thought that he was her father. <laughs> Did I miss anything on the show? You didn't miss anything. That's the problem with fandom right there. You can sum it all up. If there is something sick out there, it is represented in fandom. You click on it, and you oh, damn it. Because I, I love the new Beauty and the Beast movie. I really enjoyed it. Um... And I um, went over to AO3, and the day I went over there, the first, the story, the top story in the little section for Beauty and the Beast was the story where Gaston killed the Beast and Belle had to marry him. I know! I was like, what? This is not what is supposed to happen. I came over here to get some pre, some post wedding porn. <laughs> then I stumbled across one where Belle by banging the beast. <laughs> she took the buffalo by the horn, so to speak. <laughs> 
for it her. It didn't show that part. It didn't show that part. It's just she woke up with Adam, and um, the Enchantress was like, I can't believe you did that. <laughs> she was like, what? <laughs> I'm all up in this. <laughs> you can go now. Okay, so I want to clarify something so people don't email me. People mentioned in the chat that it was never proven in the show that he, that Ares was Zena's father. Um, But the point where I I didn't watch the show from the beginning, but the point where I was watching it, it was being like strongly implied that he could be. So that was sort of my headcanon and that that was what his interest in her was about was that he was her father. So that was my headcanon going into reading fan fiction, and I'm like, why are they sleeping together? Mm. So (laughs) nobody needs to email me. Okay, I get that it was never made completely clear um, exactly who Zena's father was. Um, But, uh, yeah. But like somebody pointed out, is that, you know, that was sort of, it wasn't like the Greek gods ever hesitated about screwing their kids, so. Or their brothers or their sisters or their. Right. So it isn't isn't particularly relevant from that perspective, but it's just kind of. Mm. (laughs) I mean, the whole Gaston thing, that was people who had a real, that came out of uh, people who had a, a boner for Luke Evans. Luke Evans. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I guess was my favorite character in the, in the live action. Um, I wouldn't pair him with anybody, but um, I thought Luke Evans inhabited that role so well that um, he was my favorite. Part I thought of the he movie. was great. I thought he was great in that. And there are parts where I was like, ha, ah! <laughs> Good job. <laughs> he grins in the mirror at himself. I'm like, that's beautiful. <laughs> yes. That's just perfect. He, he he brought life to that role that um, I don't think anybody, this is, of course, this is my opinion, but I don't think anybody brought more to the character brought brought more to the character than existed in the animated. So a lot of a lot of the performances were on par or less than the animated movie for me, the only person who was more was Luke Evans. Was Luke Evans. I yeah, he was like Gaston Gaston was a throwaway character for me in the animated. He was he was the he was the token bad guy. But when Luke Luke Evans did something with that character that made me like go, Oh, oh he he's inhabited this role in a way that's brought something new and really vibrant to it. And uh, so he, that's why he was my favorite in the movie was because he brought something that I didn't already have from the animated movie. Because I love the animated movie. Um, I adore it. I For still me, prefer the animated I, over the live action. I both um, pitied and hated Gaston. It was like, I don't know, there was just something. He, he was very vivid in the movie, very. And it was like. I don't know whether I want to pity you or hate you. I'm going to do both. (laughs) The pity hate. Yeah. (laughs) That's what happened. But actually, um, I really enjoyed um, 
what's his name? What's his name? Um, LeFou. Josh Gad, yeah. He did a really good job, I, too. I thought, I thought he did a really great job. And I especially liked that moment when he realized that he was on the wrong side. There was just like, like what the fuck? <laughs> I really, I really, I really connected him with him in that moment. It was like I've been there, dude. <laughs> I know exactly. It's like, oh, I, ba- I backed, I backed the wrong dude. What the hell? <laughs> this is not. <laughs> Guess not who's the real actor? You're a bigger monster than the one we're trying to kill. So, but yeah, it was very good. So we have we have made sort of this offer before, um, but I guess I'll kind of renew it. Um, when you're working out your Sentinel world building uh, for July, and really for any time, you know, but especially around rough trade challenges, um, if you need help um, or need sounding boards to help work out, the consequences of the changes you're putting in or figure out the ripple effect. Um, post on the workshop, go, go over there, make a post, say I need some help and um, get some, you know, I, I get notified of all new threads, but somebody asking for help with that kind of thing, I try to chime in um, because it really does help to kind of, um, when you're fleshing out world building and will this work with this fandom or what will be the consequences of this aspect of Sentinel guide lore, um, it really does help to kind of get other perspectives on that because we do get tunnel vision and not see uh, the repercussions of the the choices we make. Um, So definitely avail yourself of that. the only people who can use the workshop are registered people on the site, so there aren't going to be anonymous comments on the workshop. So just feel free. It's available to you. Chestnut Noah, you talked about the Hobbit and not being able to keep the drawers straight. I had the same problem, so I created notes for myself and kind of picked out traits for them that um, individualized them. Um, in my head um, to, to help me. And so it's like, okay, uh, you know, Nori's the thief and he has the triangle head. And he's got the triangle hair. He's got the three peaks, you know, and Bofer wears the crazy ass hat and Bifer has the axe in his head and Bomber is the big one. <laughs> and so, you know, and Ori is the one with the book and Dory is the white one. The, has the white hair and he's um, the older brother of Dory and Nori and Nori is the thief um, and so just um, kind of uh, attaching traits to each of them can help can help you uh, differentiate them um, when it comes to especially Feely the ones Keely, that didn't have as much screen time right Keely has the bow and arrow Feely has the sword and knives Feely is the oldest, and he's the heir. Um, when it comes to uh, um, uh, Gloin, he is the father of Gimli, and he has red hair and an axe. Um, and Balin and Dwalin are brothers. Um, Balin is older, 
uh, drawing is bald. <laughs> so I just kind of like, you know, I, I made myself a character list, and then I, um, I built, uh, I picked out traits in them that I could assign them to keep them straight in my head. And there's also a uh, a graphic on I, I I'm not sure where it is. Um, there's a graphic you can download off Google that has them all listed with their names and their pictures, and that helps too. But for really the biggest help I got when it when it comes to separating the Dwaro in The Hobbit was I made my own notes so that um, <clears throat> I could keep them straight in my head. That's just the best thing you can do because there are a fuck ton of them. And that's a technical term. Fuck ton. Yes. That's four buttloads. That is one tiny ass picture. Actually, it's a huge picture. What are you talking about? The one I'm seeing is tiny. Oh, my, the link. The link. Click on the link above the teeny tiny picture. I got a teeny tiny picture. It should be, it's like 1600 by something. It's in the, oh, what the hell? <laughs> Why did it go small? <laughs> Let's try this again, because on my screen, it was big at first. Wow. That is so strange. Anyway, if you go to Google, you can find a big-ass picture of them, and it has their names, and yeah, there you go. That that will work. And it helps to have this graphic and to also have the um, the list you've made yourself so that you can kind of keep them separate. It's very helpful. If you want to write in the Hobbit fandom... Yes, just I do see one of the things I see writers do to try to remind themselves when they're writing in The Hobbit is um, they'll refer to them by these traits. Um, and then, you, of course, instead of their name, so like I, I've seen um, Nori referred to as the dwarf with starfish hair. And that works as long as it's coming from somebody who doesn't know Nori's name. But if somebody who knows who Nori is, that really falls a little flat. Actually, it is my head canon now after some of the conversations we've had that some of the dwarves are female. We just don't know it. <laughs> I, you know, actually, if I was going to write any of them female, it would probably be um, Dory. I think I would do Dory, Gloin, and Oin. I think I think that I think I'd do Gloin and Oin both as female and maybe Dory too. So you'd make that Gimli's mother instead of Gimli's father. Yes. Not oh, Ori. I think seconds. I would. I wouldn't. Yeah, I wouldn't <laughs> do Ori. I don't think. Ninety seconds. Ninety seconds. Um, <laughs> I still don't have a 
have a small idea for for July. So we might come back and, and discuss this again tomorrow. <laughs> we might try again. <laughs> Although I am deeply in love with the idea of Sentinels being able to use their spirit guide to spy on people. I am digging that a lot. Uh, yeah. So anyways, yeah. say goodnight, Jilly. Good night, everyone. <laughs>